Welcome to the weekly podcast of East Point Church of God. Pastor Larry Sterling, we invite you to join us in a service soon. We're located at 379 Avenue A, East Point, Florida. Our service times are 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays and 7 p.m. on Wednesdays. We pray that this week's message inspires you to shine the light of Christ to those around you. Thank you for listening to the East Point Church of God's podcast. Today we have a special speaker, Dr. Brian Cutshaw. His outstanding message, The Four Gates of Deliverance, was delivered in the sanctuary of the East Point Church of God. If you would like more information about this ministry, go to his website at www.briancutshaw.com. That's www.briancutshall.com. Thanks again for listening and have a blessed day. I want to speak this morning on the four gates of deliverance. And that may sound a little like an odd title, but hopefully it will come together for you in just a moment. Um, I will only be using two verses of Scripture today, and you can go to both of those if you want to follow along with me. One is in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 and 12, and then one is in the book of Acts chapter 1, verses, uh, or Acts chapter 12, rather, verses 1 through 16. And those 16 verses will become the storyline of the sermon today as we talk about uh, St. Peter being set free from prison and the four gates he had to walk through in order to be free and how those four gates parallel with the spiritual warfare that all of us also fight in our daily life all the time. Years ago, I was invited, one of the greatest honors of my life, to speak uh, to the U.S. military. And they, I was in Europe, and I was going from, from base to base to base, preaching to our troops. And um, while I was there, we went into Rome. And it, it was my first time in Rome. And uh, they wanted to take me to Vatican. Actually, I wanted to go to Vatican City. And so I went and I saw St. Peter's Square. I saw the Pope where the, the, the window where the Pope waves from, you know. I walked in the door of Jubilee. I went in the Sistine Chapel and saw the great uh, paintings of Michelangelo. And it was incredible. I saw one of the greatest art galleries in the entire world. Some of the largest museums of collections of religious art in the entire world. And I walked through this incredible place and I was, I was, uh, I was in awe, honestly, at the grand I mean, every every picture frame was gold plated, and there was pictures on the ceilings as well as the wall. So when you're walking through there, you you have to just walk slow because there's pictures everywhere, and they've collected all of these incredible art, this incredible artwork. But you have to look up, you have to look down because everywhere you look, there's a framed masterpiece that is being protected that is owned there by Vatican City. And I walked through all of this, and it was incredible to see the art work around me. But when we got through, the Navy chaplain said, Brian, I want to show you another place uh, over here in Rome while we're here. And so we started walking. I don't read Italian, so I had no idea where we were. We're walking through Rome. We come by the Colosseum where they had thrown the Christians, where even the Apostle Paul was thrown into that very Colosseum with the lions. And, and uh, several Christians were, were you know, they, they met the Lord there, uh, literally, in the last moments of their life. And so I walk through this great place. I'm seeing, the, I'm seeing Mars Hill. I'm seeing all these incredible places where the, where the scriptures take place. And then we end up walking down this small little staircase. And I have no idea where I was, but this is a picture of it here if you can see that we 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 saw a little sign it looked like a little bitty uh you know brick framed building and it didn't really look like a church to me but it's more like a brick framed building and we're walking down this staircase there you go pastor thank you and uh and then when we when we got down to the bottom we walked into what looked like a cistern to me because that's the only thing that i that i could compare it to what you're looking at there is the bottom and you're seeing the top, and that's how tall it was. For me, I'm six foot two. For me to walk around inside of that, I'm walking just like this on the inside of the cistern. And I'm wondering, the first thing I'm wondering is, why did this Navy chaplain bring me into a hole in the ground into the cistern? And I'm walking around like this, and all of a sudden, something strange happened to me, which if you know me very well, I'm not much of a crier. I cry with my kids and my grandkids and with, with in the presence of the Lord, but that's about it for me. And, and 
and I don't do a lot of crying, but I started weeping like a baby. The next thing I know, I am on my knees in the cistern. I am touching the floor, and I can't speak. I am touching the sides of the cistern, and I finally look up in almost embarrassment because now I'm out of control. I'm crying so hard I'm out of control because I'm sensing something I've never sensed before in my life. And I look up to this Navy chaplain, and I said, where are we? And he said, you are in the cell of the Apostle Paul. And when he said that, I realized that I was in a place where so much of the Bible was written. And then for the first time after he said that, I realized how it was written. In this particular place, unlike any other place in the world, how he wrote it from this particular environment. No soft bed, one candle, but yet this is where he chooses to encourage the church. The prison epistles were written from prison, some when he was in prison in a home, but some from this very cell. And when he writes these epistles, he sends us words like, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But then he also gives us the secret to spiritual warfare in the middle of this place. He writes to the church of Ephesians and he's telling us in this place that we are not truly held captive by our circumstances, but that we can rise above the prisons of this world, the prisons around us, we can rise above the circumstances of life if we just understand the secrets to spiritual warfare. So he writes this in Ephesians 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but notice what he says, but against principalities. That's the first one, against powers. Notice he's making a distinct distinct difference between the two. He said the first level of spiritual warfare are principalities, a word that means principal or first class. It's like the lowest ranking person in the military, the private first class, the principal one. So he's saying, you're going to start off by fighting the low ranking devils, and then you're going to go up to powers and then rulers and then the darkness of this age or the rulers of this age and the darkness of the wickedness in high places. So he gives us four categories. He says, principalities, powers, rulers, and then spiritual hosts of wickedness in high places. Now, when he breaks this down, this is pretty much how these spiritual warfares attack our life. First of all, the principalities come against your mind. That's the whispering that you hear that comes against your mind. When Satan just gives you this subtle little hint of a suggestion that you begin to believe and get paranoid. It is the battlefield of your mind that you fight and it is truly a spiritual battlefield. It's internal. Many times you're having this war in your dreams. Sometimes you're having this war in your quiet time and you don't even tell anybody else about it. You're getting all of these negative thoughts and feelings that are coming against you and you have to overcome that. He says that's the first rank of spiritual warfare. The second rank is the word power, and he uses other people to come against you. Principalities come against my mind. Powers is when he uses weak people to come against me. Someone else who's weak in their spirit, who's maybe has a tendency to gossip or spread rumors, and that person comes and says something, or maybe they're judgmental, and maybe that person passes judgment on me, or they say something, or maybe they tell me that I'm not good enough, or I'm never going to be good enough, or I'm not the right size or I don't I'm, I'm not pretty enough or or strong enough or or maybe I'm too weak or I'm, I'm not smart enough and just that one statement that the enemy uses to plant in your heart from somebody else now you are held captive by that and that's how the powers operate principalities against my mind powers other people coming against me and then there's the rulers and the rulers control territories they, that's why I calls it the darkness of this age rulers of this age and so he's so that's the that's the ones that control environments they they control cities they control no i wouldn't say they control they influence cities they 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 influence territories of people that's why some parts of the world 
seem to be more prone to certain sins than other parts of the world because of these rulers. And then you have the spiritual warfare, which is the angels of God and the, and the, and the demons of the enemy coming together, the host of heaven, the armies of heaven. And you see a window of that when you read the book of, uh, the book of Daniel and certain books in the Bible that give you insights to how that kind of battle is being fought over your life every single day. Well, there's another story in the Bible that tells us how we can win spiritual warfare and gives us step-by-step instructions as to how this type of warfare is fought. So the, the part of the scripture that I really want to focus on most this morning is in Acts chapter 12, beginning in verse 1 through 16. So what I want to do, I'm not going to read this in its entirety because it's 16 verses. I want you to look at it because I'm going to be referring to different verses. But I want to point out how this story works. St. Peter is in prison. He's not just in prison, he's in the inner prison because they are planning on taking his life. They've just killed James, they want to kill him. And they're keeping him for a feast day when they're planning on killing him in front of everyone. So they have placed him between four soldiers in an inner part of the court. There are four doors that separate him, and there's four squads of soldiers that are protecting him. And the Bible says in this story that they've chained his feet, they've chained his hands, they've stripped him of his garments, and he is sitting there chained between soldiers But at night, as the saints begin to pray, an angel shows up and delivers Peter, and he literally walks out of the prison. But he doesn't just walk out of the prison. There are certain instructions that are given to him that says, if you want to walk out of this prison, this is the way that you walk out of a prison when God has set you free. And I'm here to tell you this morning that some of you may be in a prison of circumstance. Some of you may be in a prison of your own mind. Some of you may be living in a prison of judgmentalism today that other people have put you in. Maybe you're, maybe you're living in a prison of the culture or the environment or the traditions around you. But the Spirit of the Lord wants to remind you this morning that you are not held captive by other people and you're not held captive by the suggestions of your enemy and you are not held captive by your circumstances and your culture that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And he has come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Hallelujah. Can you give God praise in his house this morning? So here is how the instructions begin. He begins by saying in Acts chapter 12, I'm going to just look at verse 10. And when they had passed the first and second guard posts, I'm only pointing that out to let you know that he is in the inside of the prison. He's not in the outer prison. He's in the inner part of the prison. So when the angel shows up, the first prison that Peter has to get out of is the first level of spiritual warfare or the first prison. He has to convince him that what is in his mind is not holding him captive. That is where principalities attack us. He has to convince Peter, you can walk out of this prison, but you have to do it for yourself. So here is what the angel tells him in the prison of his mind. He gives him this instruction in verse 8. The angel said to him, gird yourself and put on your sandals, and put on your garment, and follow me. Now notice, he did not say, I'm here to put on your garment. I'm here to put on your sandals. What he is saying to him is that there are some things that other people cannot do for you. You can only do it for yourself. I can give you the gospel, but I cannot make you live the gospel. I can teach you how to pray, but I cannot do your praying for you. We can have a praise team to show us worship, but nobody can worship in your place but you. You're the only one who can do your praying. You're the only one who can do your worshiping. You're the only one who can 
and get the word of God inside of yourself. So the first thing he says is this, I'm here to deliver you, but there's something you have got to do for yourself. The first thing he said is gird yourself. Now, why did he use that language, gird yourself? Well, the Bible tells us, if you continue reading in the in, in Ephesians 6, which we're not going there, I'm just referring to it. But if you continue reading in Ephesians 6, it's going to tell you what the armor of God looks like. And one of the words he uses in the armor of God is that you gird yourself with truth. Do you realize that all fear, everybody say all fear. All fear is because you have believed something that the devil has told you. Now, I'm not talking about natural fear, fear of burning yourself on the stove, fear of things that are normal, falling off of the ladder. I'm talking about the kind of fear that creates anxiety, the kind of fear that holds you captive, the kind of fear that won't let you sleep at night, the kind of fear that makes you afraid to go out to the car when it's dark, the kind of fear that grips your heart and makes you afraid of society, the kind of fear you get when you watch the news. All of that fear is created because we have believed something. See, when we believe that God is still on the throne, that he's high and lifted up, that his train still fills the temple, that he's still sovereign, that he's still in control, that puts a confidence and a faith in our heart. But when we believe that the devil is in control, we have nothing but fear operating in our life. Do you realize the first time, the power of first mission, the law of first mission, the very first time that the word fear is mentioned in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 3 verse 10. Listen to this. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. This is Adam talking to God. And I hid myself and God said, wait a minute, you've always been naked. That never bothered you before. Who told you you were naked? The problem wasn't that he was naked. He had never been anything but naked his whole life. The problem wasn't naked. The problem was that the enemy said there was something wrong with you now. The enemy said something's wrong with the way you are. God didn't make you right. God didn't clothe you. God doesn't love you. God's not taking care of you. He believed a lie of the enemy, and he's now hiding himself from God, afraid of God because of a lie that the enemy told him. I'm telling you, there are people right here in this room this morning who are living in fear because the enemy told you you were going to die or the enemy told you that no one liked you the enemy said you were going to be lonely the rest of your life the enemy said that you were going to be friendless the rest of your life the enemy said no one's going to love you the enemy said everything bad happens to you nothing good happens to you there are people living in fear this morning because the devil has told you a lie but I'm here to tell you this morning the devil is a liar he is the father of all lies but God loves you for I know the plans that I have for you declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you hope and a future God loves you God said yea though you walk to the valley of the shadow of death you can fear no evil he's going to be with you his rod his staff is going to comfort you he can even prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies your cup can run over he'll anoint your head with oil he has assigned goodness and mercy to follow you the rest of your life if you'll just stay in his presence in the house of the lord you are going to be okay hallelujah give god praise this morning bless your name lord he said you have to gird yourself i wish it was possible for me to set other people free from principality warfare but i can't no one can set you free. You have got to decide on your own. I refuse to listen to this anymore. I refuse to be a slave to these lies anymore. I refuse. I know what you said, but you are a liar. I am not that way. I am not going to be that. I will not yield to that temptation. I'm not going to do those things you told me I was going to do. I don't care if my daddy did it and my, all of my uncles have done it and my great grandfather did it. It's going to stop right here. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I don't care how many people have committed that sin before me that does not assign me to a life of sin that means that does not assign me to a life of failure i am who god says i am the first thing you have to do is gird yourself and notice he said gird yourself 
tie on your own sandals. Oh, what are the sandals? You keep reading in the armor of the Lord. Sandals represent peace. Shod yourself. Shod your feet with the preparation of peace. As long as you live in unforgiveness, the devil has a stronghold in your mind. You don't forgive people because they deserve it. You forgive people because God forgave you. That's the only reason. You're going to forgive some people that don't deserve to be forgiven. You're going to forgive some people that never acknowledge that you forgave them. If you're waiting on the Oprah Winfrey reunion, you may never get it. You may never get that hug from somebody that you've been longing to see. That may not happen. But that does not mean that you have to live your life in fear and rejection the rest of your life. That does not mean that. No, you can forgive people that won't even forgive you. You can forgive people that won't even talk to you. You can forgive people that are mean and angry and hateful and rude and disgusting and are lying on you and talking to you. But you can say, listen, you may choose to be my enemy, but I am not going to live with that animosity in my heart another day. I have choose to live free i'm not going to live angry i'm not going to live i'm not going to live with that unforgiveness in me he said if you want to be free from the lies of principalities you've got to start walking in god's truth and not the lies they've told you and secondly you've got to walk in peace with everybody around you you've got to walk out in love you've got to keep walking in peace the bible says wherever possible make peace with everybody He knows sometimes it's not possible, but wherever it's possible, be a peacemaker. But if I commit my life to living my life in peace, I can still please God and I will not be bound to those principalities. And then he said, you need to put on your garment. I'm so glad you guys sang that song this morning. What a great confirmation for this sermon for me. It was because sometimes you just have to praise your way out of depression. I wish I could tell somebody that this secret because I've seen people so bound in depression. They've closed all the windows and all the curtains and they're sitting in a dark room just waiting to die and you can walk in that room and you can open those curtains and you can bathe their face with a wet cloth and you can try to encourage them but there's some things you have to do for yourself there's some things that you have to say listen i've decided to follow jesus no turning back i've come too far to go back now i've decided it's not going to end this way my story will not end on this note i've decided that i'm going all the way with jesus christ I am walking out of this valley. I am walking out of this depression. I am walking out of this place of my mind. And sometimes you have to do what we sing about. You've got to put on the garment of praise. I don't know, but I don't know if you dance in this church or not, but I'm still dancing on my side of, of Christianity. And sometimes you don't have to, you can't get a praise team around you. Sometimes there's nobody to sing you into God's presence. There's no choir to sing you. There's no great music like we heard this morning sometimes you got to get in your kitchen and just dance all by yourself sometimes you got to say listen i'm tired of this i've decided to put on my garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness nobody can worship in your place nobody can worship for you nobody can i don't care how many people lifting your hand around you that's not lifting your hand unto the lord i don't care how many hallelujahs are on your row that's not your hallelujah i don't care how many feet are set free to dancing that's not your dance if you want to be free from principalities walk in truth you got to walk in peace and you've got to start praising your way out of fear into faith hallelujah give god praise one more time in his house the next thing he said is you just got to keep going he said you got to he said peter he said gird yourself put on your sandals put on your praise and just keep walking don't stop here or you're never going to get out you can already guess i don't have this much time to go over all the gates so they won't all be this long here's the second gate the second gate is the expectation of other people remember i told you that the that the second level of principality is how satan uses other people to put you in bondage The first one, he just speaks lies to you and puts you in bondage. The second one, he uses other people to put you in bondage. Weak people. He doesn't use strong people. He can't. He only uses weak people to put you in bondage. But notice this. When they came out, listen to what Peter says. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and delivered me from the hand of Herod. And notice this right here. From the expectation of the Jewish 
people. He has delivered me from the expectation of the people. Sometimes the expectation of people will put you in bondage. How many of you figure this out? There's some people you just can't make happy. Jesus can't make them happy. You can't make them. There's no one in the world that can make them happy. They have to decide to be happy before they're going to be happy with anything. Sometimes our state of mind is a choice. And we want to blame our circumstances. And we want to blame everybody else. But sometimes it's the fact that we're choosing to see that glass half empty instead of half full. Sometimes it's the fact that we, we're refusing to see the sun rise around us. We're refusing to admit that this is the day the Lord has made. And something good can actually happen. But we're just looking at all the adverse circumstances. And we're, we're claiming our own defeat. Sometimes the expectation of other people around you can defeat you. But no. Notice how powers attack you. Somebody will get to you. Can I, can I, can we just be honest? Can we just be real this morning? I'm going to raise my hand first so that you can be free to raise your hand. How many people in this room besides me have ever been put in bondage by something somebody else said to you or about you? All right. And the rest of you, I'll see you in the altar in just a minute. I'm just joking. I'm just, I'm just kidding. But, but it, and it happens. I, I wish I could be the president of that. I don't give a rip club. You know, I hear guys say that. I'm thinking, man, I wish I could be in that club. That I just really didn't care. I think the only people really in that club are people that are so self-centered, they don't really care about anything but themselves. Because I wish, I wish sometimes that I didn't care what other people said and what other people thought. But unfortunately, the enemy uses those mindsets to kill us and put us in bondage. You're not good enough. Nobody likes you. You're not as good as this person. Anybody besides me ever been compared to somebody? Everybody been compared? Well, you're just never going to preach like that person. You're never going to sing like that person. You're never going to be as smart. You can't pastor like that person. And we get put into that kind of fear. Well, can I tell you that those principalities and those powers may try to rule your mind, but there's something that supersedes that, and that is called pleasing God. I love this quote of, of Eleanor Roosevelt. She said, great minds talk about ideas, average minds talk about events, and small minds talk about other people. I, how many of you think that's a good quote? They, they don't have any events. They don't have any ideas. They're just talking about everybody else who's coming up with the events and the ideas. But the truth is that in our life, we have to live our life according to a Colossians chapter 3. And I'll just paraphrase this because this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And I may not quote it exact, but this is, how it, this is what it means to me. Whatever you do, do it with all of your heart as unto the Lord and not unto men. Knowing that you receive the reward of the inheritance from your heavenly Father because you serve the Lord your Christ. If you do something for God, you may not get a certificate. You may not get a pat on the back and you may not get a title and you may not get a badge and a saved seat or a, or a special parking space but can I tell you if you really did it for God then you were going to get the applause of heaven and you're going to hear him say well done thou good and faithful servant you've been faithful over a few things I'll make you ruler over many enter into the joys of the Lord we have got to get our eyes off of what everybody thinks and get our eyes back on the applause of heaven. I tell young ministers, I train a lot of young ministers, and I tell them all the time, anytime you stand up and preach, it doesn't matter if there's 10 or 10,000 in the house, you preach to an audience of one. I got a text this morning from my intern. He's a young man in Springfield, Missouri, going to, uh, going to Evangel College there, ministerial student. He travels with me in the summertime, and, and I'm, I'm, Teach, I'm, I'm mentoring him in his ministry. He's a young kid, a teenage boy. He got an opportunity to preach, and he's been texting me every day about this sermon. I mean, he's just been nervous, and he just did a, the funeral of his uncle, and we, we wrote out his sermon together. So he's been really anticipating preaching all week long. So I get up this morning, and I get a text from Taylor, and he said, we had nine people in the service last night, and I preached the house on fire. <laughs> I love it, man. How 
can you have nine people and preach the house on fire unless you're just preaching for the applause of heaven? And he got it. I thought, yes, that's how you do it, man. You don't preach to nine people no more than you preach to 900 people. You preach because the king is in the house and he is the one that you've come to see. We don't sing for musicians. We don't sing for choirs. We don't sing for audiences. We don't sing for praise teams. We sing because the king is in the house and he is the one we've come to see. We have got to get our eyes back on God and off of other people so we can do the work of the Lord. Give God praise one more time this morning. Hallelujah. So the first gate is just getting beyond what my mind is teasing me with. Getting away from those principalities. The second gate is moving beyond what other people are going to think about that. You know there are some people that won't worship because what they're afraid of what other people may think about their worship. You know, I, I, I don't have a, a pretty shout anymore. I shout more like a wounded water buffalo. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't have a pretty dance. But, but when the Holy Spirit gets on me, I give him what I've got. And, and, and if I was worried about what everybody thought about me, I wouldn't, I would never do that because it's just ridiculous to be honest with you. I mean, I've got two earned doctorates. I shouldn't be acting like that. But when the Holy Spirit gets on me, I can't help it. And I want to tell you that I don't ever want to get so educated that I can't praise. And I don't ever want to get so important that I can't praise. And I don't ever want to have so many titles that I can't praise. I want to make sure that when I come to the house of God, I see one person in that house and that is the King of kings and the lord of lords and i want to aim to please him with all of my gifts and talents we have to move beyond the expectation of people but notice the next one he comes to he comes to the third gate and he says this gate is the gate that led to the city when he had passed the first and second guard posts they came to the iron gate which leads to the city notice what it said it opened all by itself can i tell you something your city is no match for this church. I don't care how many sinners in this city. They are no match for the power of God that rests upon here. They are no match for praising saints. They are no match for the power of prayer. I don't care how much evil. I don't care how much crime. I don't care how much meanness. It is no match for the angels of the Lord that fight on your behalf. It is no match for you and your guardian angel. It is no match for the power of the Holy Spirit that resides inside of you. It is no match for the praise that happens on Sunday morning and every time you gather because of the angels that you draw into this place when you just begin to lift up the Lord the gates to the city will not Jesus said upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail can I tell you the gates of hell are no match for the kingdom of God the gates of hell are no match for praying saints God would have saved Sodom and Gomorrah if only Ten people had been worshiping, worshiping him there. For only ten righteous people, he would have saved that wicked city from destruction. And I look around this room this morning. This house is almost full. And can I tell you that I'm looking at people who love God and love each other and love their community. And I can tell you this community is no match. The gates of hell, I don't care how high they are. They are no match for the church, for East Point Church church of God they are no match for the people in this house this morning because God's assignment on your life supersedes all the wickedness in the land it supersedes all the evil in the land God's assignment on your life is powerful and if you can just get out of the prison of your own mind and get out of the prison of what everybody else thinks about you the gates to the city will open all by itself and God will give you this city how many of you believe that God can give you these surrounding communities and the city here today hallelujah we have just got to learn how to be naturally supernatural again the Bible says in Luke chapter 10 and I'm not gonna you don't have to turn there because I just want to reference that that when you go into a new city to to minister to people that the first thing you have to do is find the person of peace and we've forgotten how to do that 
So when you go to somebody, you just, you just pronounce a blessing on them. If they receive the blessing, they're assigned to you. That's the person you can win to the gospel. If they don't receive the blessing, then, then they're not assigned to you. I remember uh, just last week, actually, Faith and I were in a, a Mexican restaurant. And we were with another pastor, and, and, and this waiter came up to the table just last week in South Georgia when we were, we were driving down and before we got to the prayer conference there. And uh, this, this young man came to our table to take our food, and I just asked him one question. I said, you know, we're about to pray over our food. Is there anything that we can pray over in your life for you when we pray over our food? Simple question. When you get that, you're going to get either uh, talked in the hand. I'm sorry, no, not, not, not me, I'm good. Guess what, my peace didn't rest. But there it rested. This young man said, yeah, as a matter of fact, there is. He said, this is my first day on this job. I came here, moved here from Arizona. I don't know anybody. I came here for a construction job. The job fell through, and I'm waiting tables now because I'm just trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my life, and I could sure use a prayer today. That's what he told us. And then he said on his own, would you mind if I stayed here with you while you prayed? And he stood at the table while we prayed because he wanted us to pray for him. In the middle of a restaurant, he was our waiter, and we prayed for that young man from Arizona who was trying to find his life. And he did not know Christ. He said, "He said, you know, I believe in St. Jude. That's what he said. I said, well, that's good that you believe in St. Jude. I knew then he had a Catholic background, but I knew he had never been born again, and we were able to share the gospel with him. It wasn't even difficult at all because we identified someone that the peace of God rested on them when we pronounced a blessing. That person that's cutting your hair, all you have to say is, listen, today I'm going to church, and this weekend I'm going to church, and we're going to pray. Is there anything I can pray over in your life? Either they're going to say no, or they're going to say yes, and the next thing you know it, your peace has rested upon them. You can win them to the Lord. My wife and I, and if you know my wife, she's my, my little redhead. She is kind of shy with people, and, and we were in a, until she gets to know them, but we were in a mall one time, and walked Walking through that mall, she saw this girl, and, and I, I couldn't believe she was doing it because usually she sends me on these jobs. Brian, you need to go over here and talk to this person right now. Share, you know, you, I'm sure you've never done that before. You need to go over there and share the gospel with this person. I think God wants you to talk to them. She didn't do that this day. She went over to this girl, and she said, listen, I, I know you don't know me, and I don't know you, but I, I would just like to pray with you. This girl was selling insurance at a kiosk in the mall. I mean, and Faith walks over, and I was blown away, and the girl began to weep and cry, and Faith prayed for that girl at that kiosk, and we were not even at a mall near a house. We were 45 minutes away the next day on Sunday. It was on a Saturday or Friday. On Sunday, it was pouring down rain, and, and while we were getting, in, while we were into the service, I saw this girl come in the back of the door, and she was drenched. She had ridden her motorcycle, her only mode of transportation, through that rain to get to that church where that redheaded woman had prayed with her and introduced her to Jesus. And can I tell you, she rode that motorcycle in the snow. She rode it in all the weather. She never missed service because she will tell you today that that church changed her life and it all started in a mall when somebody said, I'm not afraid to be naturally supernatural in a public place. If somebody needs prayer, you may be walking through Walgreens or you may be walking through through the grocery store, the IGA or the Piggly Wiggly, somewhere between the chickpeas and the collard greens. And the Holy Spirit says to you, I want you to go over here and talk to this lady. And you may walk over to that lady and say, listen, I know you don't know me, but can I have a prayer with you? You have no idea what's going to happen in a moment if the body of Christ would just once again quit apologizing for our Christianity. I mean, we're making excuses for every other religion in the world that wants to worship in this country. I say it's high time to take back the high ground. I say it's high time to hold up the banner of Christianity and say we're not ashamed of being a Christian and they've tried to burn us out. They've tried to stone us to the ages but we're here to stay because we're here with the cross of Jesus Christ and it will always win in the end. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I say that we need to be naturally supernatural again. Unapologetically Christian again. And if we will just do that and not make, I mean, we can be spiritual without being spooky. We don't have to scare everybody half to death on row eight of Walmart just to praise God. But we can have a simple prayer and love somebody in that moment. I saw Faith pray for a baby one time in, in another mall, a different mall. She prayed for a baby. 
And God touched that baby's life. And she had no idea what that mama was going through in that baby. And when that lady told us the story, I was absolutely blown away. And, and I knew then why the Holy Spirit sent faith over there to take that. She actually took the baby out of the, out of the mama's arms and said, can I pray for your baby? I mean, she was blowing me away. I'm thinking, wow, she's, I might be the pastor, but she's the evangelist here because she's really getting bold. What would happen if we would just get naturally supernatural? What would happen with, with this church this morning if everyone in this room would say, I am tired of hiding in the shadows. I'm tired, of, I'm tired of being a Sunday Christian and my coworkers don't even know that I'm a Christian. I'm tired of being ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm tired of looking around the restaurant every time I pray in public because I'm afraid someone's going to see me pray over the food. I'm tired of hiding in the shadows of the cross. I'm ready to be naturally supernatural. What would happen if the people of this church church would just go back in the community and say listen God sent me here to pray over the sick my neighbor's sick I know you're not Christian but can I pray for you anyway I promise you a sick person will let you pray for them they may be an atheist they may be an agnostic they may not be a Christian but if they're sick they will let you pray for them there are opportunities every single day of our life to share our faith the gates of hell will not prevail if the church will just put on our marching boots and keep walking always we've got to do is get over those mind tricks all we've got to do is get over the expectation of what everybody's going to think and just be bold in the power of the holy spirit again and we will see god do miracles among us this city is no match for this church everybody that believes that put your hands together and give god praise hallelujah I want to tell you one more story and then I'm going to come to my last point and we're going to close in a, two or three more minutes. But I want to tell you this story. I was in, I, Faith and I love to lead tours of Israel. As a matter of fact, if you want to go to Israel, we're leading another one in November. Let us know. We'd love to take you with us. We, we love to take tours to Israel and, and lead those tours. And I was coming back from Israel on a particular, on one of the trips. And I noticed if you've ever done that flight over to Jerusalem or Israel, what you see in this top picture here, you see a man on an airplane uh, with his prayer shawl on. You will see 20 to 30 Jewish men do that if you ever fly over to, uh, fly over to Israel. Because at their prayer time, especially early in the morning, they will go to prayer. They will get out their prayer book and they'll start rocking just like this under that prayer shawl. And they don't care who's on that plane. They never asked if they could get, they get right in the middle of the aisle because that is their custom to pray. And you'll see that. And there'll be 20 or 30 of them. They'll just get right now and they'll pray sometimes for a solid hour just like that. People have to just walk around them. They'll let you walk by, but they're not going to stop their prayer time because they are, they are committed to that prayer time. And I was flying back from the United States and or to the United States from Israel and I noticed that all the Jewish men again at sunup they got out their prayer shawls and they were praying and, and they would turn and face the opposite direction because they want to face Jerusalem so they faced the back of the plane because we're flying back to the U.S. and they're all praying and I, and I was so convicted in my heart because I've been in the Holy Lands that particular trip a very long trip I'd just been in there talking and preaching walking where Jesus walked I've been to Calvary the tomb all of that the Reds the, 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 uh, the Sea of Galilee and now I'm convicted because this Jewish man is praying on my plane and I'm not and I get out at JFK airport and I'm I no longer get you know very far from the gate and I noticed that it was time for the Muslims to pray and this man could not get to his prayer room and he rolled out his mat and he started facing Mecca and this Muslim man was praying right there in the middle of JFK airport and I got under such conviction and I was so ashamed I thought here I believe that Jesus Christ is the light of the world the only way the only truth the only real life and yet I've watched him uh, I've watched a Jewish man cry out to God and now a Muslim man crying out to Allah because because they're not ashamed to pray and I didn't know if they were going to arrest me or not but I got down on my knees and right beside that Muslim man and I opened my big old Bible and every time he went down I went down every time he came up he came up he was praying in one tongue but I was praying in tongues and I didn't care one bit I just began to pray I stayed there as long I thought I don't know how long this Muslim prayer is going to last but I'm not getting up 
before he does. And I mean, we get, there was people standing around staring at us, looking at us. I was afraid they were going to arrest us because it looked like a praying contest. It really wasn't. But I was just not going to be ashamed another minute. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I was not going to let other people pray when I was refusing to pray to my Lord. And in that moment, I decided I am going to stand up for Christianity and I'm going to stand up for the cause of Jesus Christ. So then he has to get to the last gate. He walks to the gate of the city, which opened up all by itself. And then he gets to the gate of the church. And I'm not going to go into a lot of details here, but I'm just going to tell you that this was not an easy gate for him to get into because of unbelief. They were praying for him to be set free. And he was set free, but when he got there, they said, this, it can't be Peter. He's in jail. We're praying for him to get out of jail. But when he got into the, he got there, and what he noticed is that the, the gate was locked. The gate to the church was locked. And I wonder how many gates to our churches are locked, and they're filled with people from the inside, but it's so hard to get into those churches from the outside. I wonder how many churches are not really locked to the gospel, but locked to the community. Not really locked to the people here. As long as you can come in and look like us and sing like us and worship like us, you're okay. But what if somebody, what if God decides to send somebody off the streets that doesn't look like us and doesn't sound like us and doesn't smell like us, is not dressed like us? Can they come in and find Jesus Christ in our churches as well? When I pastored in St. Louis, I had so many people that came in our church and, and their story after we talked to them, they would say, well, listen, I went in another church and they, they asked me to leave. I know people that actually walked in churches and their ushers would usher them out because they were dressed inappropriately. And I said, Lord, please send me every reject from every other church. I want to be the church that opens its arms and opens up its doors to the community. I want to be the church that lets every, whosoever will let them come and drink of the water of life freely. I want I want to be that place where the lost can be found. I want to be that place where the blind can see. I want to be that place where you can come in and get your marriage restored. Come in and get your life back together. I don't care who you slept with last night. I don't care what was in that you shot up in your veins. I don't care if you have to come in drunk. I serve a God who can set you free from all of that. Just come as you are and we'll let God clean you up and minister to you on the level that you need ministering to. I want to be that church several years ago. And you can go ahead and play. But several years ago, our church was, um, what, what we had just bought a building. We had been in a, we outgrew our building. We, we had sold our building. We had been worshiping in gymnasiums and schools for about three and a half years. Our church was about 300 people whenever we sold our building. By this time, we had no idea we would grow this fast. We were now up to about 800 people in these schools we definitely needed a place of our own. So we bought this building. It was uh, the St. Louis Soccer House. We bought this indoor soccer field where you play all year long, especially in the wintertime. It had a lot of gambling establishments all attached to it and have, had, I think, three different bars attached to it. And it was a big, big building. So we purchased that, and um, the, the city didn't want us to move into it because they were losing all of that gambling money. They were losing all of that, all that, uh, you know, all, all of that beer money and, and all those things. That, and we were a not-for-profit, so they weren't even going to get our taxes from us. And so they didn't want us in that property. They wanted somebody else in that property because they got a lot more money. And so they shut us down. Not only did they shut us down, they literally put chains across the doors. They put chains and they put one of those slips, uh, paper that said, if you walk across this, you're breaking the law. And you, I don't know exactly what they're called. Um, kind of a restraining order for everybody, I guess. And we couldn't go into the property under the edict of the, of the, of the county. This went on for a solid year. And I'll be honest with you, I thought I was going to lose my mind. I thought, Lord, I'm in a prison. I can't get out of this prison. I was in one of my mind. I was in one of expectations. I felt like I couldn't win my city. I mean, I was there in full-blown spiritual warfare. I thought, Lord, how do I win this? How do I win this battle? We, went, we started fasting and praying. On this fast, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Brian, take your congregation to Gilgal. I didn't even know what that meant. I literally looked on the map for a community called Gilgal, thinking maybe we were going to sell that building and move, and there wasn't, there wasn't one. And I, I knew about Gilgal in the Bible, and that was a place where they went and anointed themselves and anointed these stones, a circle of stones. And so I felt like God wanted me to anoint stones in that building. So I got up on Sunday morning in the school, and I said, listen, I, I just want you guys to know, I'm, I know I'm your pastor, but I'm going to break the law today, and you just need to know about it up front in case you read about it tomorrow, or in case they, they put me on the news. I'm going, to, I'm going to cut the chains off of one of those doors. 
And I'm going to go into that building tonight because I feel like the Holy Spirit has talked, has told me to anoint 12 stones and build an altar in the middle of that floor. And I'm going to do it tonight. And I just want you to know. And that night when I went there, I said, I'm going to go about this time. When I got there, 700 people showed up with the lawn chairs and walked in that door with me. And I knew the jail couldn't hold all of us. We didn't know what we were going to do next. But we took those, we took those stones. We sang a few worship songs. There was no sermon. We sang a few worship songs. We put those stones in the middle of the room. And we began, every elder came up and poured oil over those and prayed. And then I took a gallon of oil. And I just began to pour it over those stones and cry out to God with my whole heart and say, God, set us free. We are bound. We're broken and we're bound. We're stuck. Set us free. We're stuck. We need a a warfare. We need the host of heaven to fight this battle for us. And all of a sudden, it began to rain so hard that they couldn't even hear me talk anymore. It had a tin roof on it, and the rain was so deafening. We had to just stop, and it went on forever. Well, it was, the, it was the weekend of Winterfest, and our teenagers had gone to Winterfest, and they came back, and they had left their, their luggage outside because it wasn't raining. It wasn't supposed to rain. And they ran out the door to get their luggage because they didn't want it to get wet. When they did, those teenagers from the youth group come back in, and they were all weeping and crying and hugging each other, and they said, Pastor, it's not raining outside. You can hear the rain from in here, but there's no rain outside. Nothing is wet. There's no clouds. There's no rain. You could walk outside, and it, and it was a beautiful evening. You can walk inside, and it sounded like an abundance of rain over our head. And we knew that we had seen a miracle, and we knew that God had showed up, that the armies of heaven had showed up. We didn't know what was going to happen. And so uh, that night, we just left the building, but we could we still didn't have we needed 32 signatures from the county to even start our building project and we left that room that night not knowing what was going to happen and I just kept fasting and kept praying and two days later or three days later my wife comes downstairs I'm in my office praying she says Brian the county commissioner is on the phone and I'm thinking oh man here it is he's going to lock me up now we're going to get a fine or arrested or something they found out what we did because three days later I get a call from a man named Buzz Westfall at the time, and I didn't, I didn't know him, and he didn't know me. He said, Dr. Cutshaw, are you the pastor at Twin Rivers? I said, yes, sir, I am. He said, well, I couldn't sleep all last night, and, and I was so troubled, and the only thing I can think of is that there was a lady, a CPA, that helped me make a lot of money last year, and I never thanked her properly. So I called her this morning, and I said, I want to do something for you because my mind was troubled, and I couldn't sleep last night. I need to do a favor for you today to get this off my mind. And she said, well, don't do a favor for me. Do one for my pastor. Here's his phone number. He said, so Dr. Cutshaw, what do you need from me today? I said, well, the truth is I need 32 signatures from the county, and you're the county commissioner. He said, really, is that it? Can you be in my office in an hour? I'd been trying to get these for over a year. I got me an empty briefcase. I looked like I was something, but I was nothing. I walked in there with an empty briefcase, and I sat down at the county seat around this big table, and I heard him call every department head in, and he said, sign it. And they had all plotted against us, and he said, but what, what are you, not this one. And the guy would slap the table and said, I said, sign it. And they were afraid of him because he could have fired them. And they all signed it. Not, wanting, not one of them wanted to sign it. And they were getting in, they were getting in arguments. And he had slapped the table and say, sign it. And he did that until I had 32 signatures. I mean, he took every one of them on. And they had been giving us trouble for a year. He took every one of them on. And I walked in with an empty briefcase. But I walked out with 32 signatures. And we took the chains off the doors. And we started building into the glory of God. We filled that building up then we filled it up again and when i left twin rivers we were filling that same building up three times every single sunday morning we had filled it up at eight o'clock we'd fill it up at 9 30 we'd fill it up at 8 15 and we had another satellite church all because we got our breakthrough Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of East Point Church of God and Pastor Larry Sterling. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.